Hey, movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 62. Um, we are continuing our journey, our road to the rise of Skywalker Michael. As someone has pointed out to me last week, I said Rise of Resistance, the new um, ride over Disney World. I said that not once, but twice, because I'm a nincompoop. Um, so we are continuing our ride to Rise of Skywalker by covering the E. Uh, original trilogy of Star Wars. And thankfully, I'm not alone, so other people can point out my mistakes like Rise of Resistance. Uh, I'm joined once again by Michael. Michael, how are you doing tonight? I'm well, sir. Thank you so much for having me back, and I'm glad you got the name of a, a title correctly, especially when it's a, a saga film, so good job there. But no, seriously, that aside, I'm really looking forward to tonight. We have a lot to cover, and it's a privilege to be back. I think more people are excited for Rise of Resistance than Rise of Skywalker. That's why I got him mixed up. Um, <laughs> and making his triumphant return, like number 30 in a Royal Rumble, Josh, how are you doing tonight? I am hanging out, man. It's, it has been a couple a couple weeks. Um, I'm glad Michael's been chilling up here with you because uh, I'd never want to leave you alone. Um, but yeah, glad to be back, man. Let's get this get into it. Yeah, so before we get in the news real quick, um, I said I was going to last episode. I saw Knives Out over the weekend, and I just wanted to give my general thoughts. Best movie of the year so far, not called Endgame. And Endgame wow. only gets it for me, personally, because of the 10 years of build leading up to it. But as a solo film, holy crap, if you have not seen Knives Out yet, get on it. It is so good. Heather's given it two massive thumbs up. Um, we both thoroughly enjoyed it. It's one of those that I'm desperate to go back to see it in theaters again to catch the little details that I'm sure I missed the first time. Um, it is so good. And in other news, I also saw Honey Boy of the Weekend, which is completely different than Knives Out, but nonetheless also still really, really good, which further cements to me that Shia LaBeouf one day will be an Academy Award winner because holy crap, he brings it in Honey Boy and is so gritty and real and just raw in the movie and a way that I've never seen before. It's just fascinating. But um, yeah, Knives Out is the movie that I've been waiting for. Like this year has not been great for movies, but Knives Out was great nonetheless. Um, so we'll transition now to our main topics, most of which all but one this week are trailers because for some reason, every studio was just like, hey, we got a trailer. Let's drop it all around the same time, which is, oh, okay. Um, Let's start with the big one right off the bat. Wonder Woman 1984. Um, so this was more or less the one that everyone was anticipating coming out of the Brazil Comic Con this past weekend. Josh, I'll go to you first because you've been away and you're my fellow DC brethren. What did you make of this Wonder Woman trailer? Um, I was already kind of down for, for the new Wonder Woman, um, but this definitely sold me on it. Uh, the, the new costumes, the references to literally like golden age Wonder Woman comics. Um, it was really good. I mean, I'm interested to see if, um, Cheetah is actually going to be the villain or if this movie will just cause her to be the villain, to be a, to turn into like an origin story for her or whatever. Uh, Michael, what? What do you think in WW84 wise? Uh, uh, well, so first off, I'm going to go see see the movie regardless of what the marketing 
is so i want to get that oh, out of the same, way same, i really did i really yeah, did yeah, enjoy yeah. the first wonder woman um so I, I honestly forgot that this was actually coming so what a pleasant surprise so i appreciate the reminder nate uh, i attribute that to you uh the, the thing is i as somebody who is not i don't know hardly a lot about comics and dc being the farthest from and i was very confused as to what was going on um i i kind of got a, a sense of the plot that was pretty easy but as far as who was who uh, the kind of reveal of the new uh, costume at the end goes over my head. Uh, the lightning scene where she's like lassoing lightning or whatever, I, that go, I have no idea what that's referencing. I have no idea who Cheetah is. I don't know um, uh, who uh, – what's what's the actor's name? Um, Pedro Pascal. Pablo. Was it uh, – Pedro Pablo. Wow, that's a – see, that shows you how much I know. Uh, Pedro <laughs> he Pascal, played Pablo Escobar uh, on Man- Narcos. Yeah. He's yes, the he Mandalorian. Um, he is. Uh, so Michael I, does not know the I, way. I'm, he doesn't I, I, know the I way. Am, I do not know the way. Um, uh, I have spoken, everybody. Uh, <laughs> I, I was, I, I was, I was rather confused by it, um, and I don't know how to necessarily feel about it. It's like, sure, I'll, I'll go see it, but I, I didn't give me any clarity. So I, I apologize to anyone who's offended at that. I just, I didn't know what to think because I didn't get a lot of the hints, but I, from, from what I've heard from the rest of the community, the comic book community, there was a lot of Easter eggs in there uh, that they took. I, I just can't identify with it. Yeah, no. And I, I feel that it took me, um, geez, maybe a 30, 45 minute conversation with a friend of mine to really catch everything that happens in this trailer. So even as a kind of more of a DC head than I, than you are, I, it's still, there was a lot of stuff that they really pulled out of the, the vault <laughs> to say the least. So okay. I'll be the tiebreaker. Josh seemed to really like it. Michael seemed a bit, eh, um, I don't want to do it. But I side more with Michael than Josh. I'm not a fan of the Wonder Woman trailer, actually. Really? So, uh, even as someone that knows the comics, I agree with Michael. This is a very confusing trailer. Um, And it also, to me, because I know a little bit more inside baseball, it is worrying to me. So, a few weeks back, there was a leak. um, Like, reportedly, some test screenings got out and some feedback of kind of what the plot of the movie was, but it came from Cosmic Book News, which is, like, not a reliable source at all. Yeah, not at all. Um, sure. But their plot synopsis kind of lines up with what we're seeing in this trailer that makes me just go, oh, because that synopsis that I read, I'm not going to go into it here. You can feel free to look it up on your own time. Sure. It's not a bad premise, but it's not nearly as interesting or original as I would like a Wonder Woman sequel to be. That being said, I don't think this trailer is all bad. There's a lot of good things in it. Um, when she's fighting in the mall, holy crap, there's these things called colors. Zack Snyder, yeah, isn't no that way. great? Like, her costume popped. There's red and blue and daylight. It's dude. It's the exact opposite <laughs> of the color scheme in the first Wonder Woman, which at the time <laughs> makes sense because it's World War One. Um, but... Tell me you didn't get Stranger Things vibes when she goes to the mall. Um, yeah. And oh, that's a good point. For I, To clarify for Michael, Pedro Pascal in this movie, they've already confirmed, he will be playing a character called Maxwell Lord, who's um, kind of like Lex Luthor meets um, Professor X of like genius, uh, genius with powers, but not like overpowered powers. 
like, uh, okay, I don't uh, know how much they're going to delve into these powers in this. It kind of just makes him seem like I, a rich, sleazy car salesman. Well, but it's not, he sounds exactly like Kilgrave from the Jessica Jones series, where he's just kind of like, he can kind of push people mentally in the right direction that he wants. Yes. So mm-hmm. in the trailer, you kind of get this sense of like, there's this magic rock thing that what he's got on his desk. And it seems like maybe Diana made a deal with him uh, to bring Steve back. Yeah, I also wasn't a huge fan of the cheetah thing. Also, for even the, for the people that don't like the music for whatever reason, the DC for some reason that's the one thing that they've nailed is the music. Where was the Wonder Woman theme in this trailer? It was completely absent. Um, um hmm. I actually didn't notice that until just until you mentioned it. Like. It was nice to see Steve Trevor again. Now he's going to be the fish out of water because he's in the 80s and was supposed to be dead. But I saw a great tweet, and I completely agree. Um, Steve Trevor is going to be the DC version of South Park's Kenny. Of They just keep killing him and bringing him back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? <laughs> there's no way he's coming back again. Like, he has to die again in this movie because he's never yeah, mentioned he- in present timeline. You would think that, wouldn't you? But that would be where you were wrong. But, like, the premise, I will not talk about it here just because I, from this trailer, it seems like credible thoughts. Um, but it, I don't know. The color scheme is great. The colors pop. I want colors in my comic books. That's a criticism I've had for Marvel is they look cool, but they could pop a little bit more. That's why I like Shazam as much as it did. It's bright red, bright blue, yeah, a uh, bright red. Mm-hmm. Aquaman especially. The colors pop in that final battle. I want more of that, and I really like that in Wonder Woman. Um, it seems like, and I've been very critical of Gal Gadot's performance as Wonder Woman, especially in the first one. I think she comes across as a bit wooden. She seems a little bit more comfortable in this role. It's like she's finally starting to settle in, at least from this trailer, kind of getting more... Yeah comfortable with who she is um and again that final part of the trailer she's kind of got like gold armor um, yes yeah, yeah that's like kingdom come armor which with- is interesting because uh i mean that would be a snyder thing to do to just throw armor like that kind of level armor in for no reason unless that's the direction they're gonna go with with the current story either with just Wonder Woman or the overarching, like, all-series story. Yeah, I I don't know. I watched this trailer, like, three or four times just to see, like, if I could get my excitement level up. And at least for me, it never really got my adrenaline pumping of, like, yeah, super excited to see this. It was just kind of, all right, this... Yeah. Maybe because I hyped it up too much, and I, didn't, I really didn't think I hyped it up that much. Um, but... I guess for me, the trailers that I like the most that we're going to be talking about the, this week are the ones that I had no expectations for. Those are the ones that I like the best. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Michael, I, I any closing thoughts before we move on to our next one? Uh, no, I, I, I will say a fanny pack for the win, what an MVP is. I, Not I many men least... can pull off a fanny pack. Chris Pine can. No. Yes, he can. I, um, I'm, I'm a fan of the fact that they're going to do a role reversal. She's kind of introducing him back into the uh like this world that he's not familiar with it's interesting do you think though it was a mistake for them to reveal that he's back in this trailer because i really wasn't expecting them to do that I, that actually took me by surprise the most no 
I figured since he's going to be a big part of the story that he would be in this, I think it would have been a bigger deal had they said how he comes back. Okay. I think that's a okay, bigger reveal yeah, that they'll yeah, say yeah. for the okay. movie itself. Yeah, I, I I would agree with that. I appreciate Yeah, good point, Michael. Jeez. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, um, going on, this is going to sound weird, but our next trailer is actually the one that I enjoyed the most this week from a very unlikely source called Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters Bro. Afterlife, I guess, is the official title for it now. So I'm going to officially go on record and say I'm not the biggest Ghostbusters fan in the world. I like the Halloween Horror Nights house this year, and I think the first one's just kind of, it's it's fine. I don't really get the appeal, but maybe it's because it's before it was my time. Um, that being said, I really, really enjoyed this Ghostbusters trailer, primarily because they spend like 80% of this trailer getting us acquainted with these new characters and don't focus on the ghost busting aspect of, okay, let's get you to care about these people first before they suit up as Ghostbusters. It's the exact opposite of what the 2016 Ghostbusters did. Yeah. Uh, Michael, were you ever a, a Ghostbusters fan growing up? Uh, or? Uh, this is going to, I have not seen one film. I, I honestly have not. I, I barely even know the Ghostbusters theme. I only know that because of like the high school band. That's pretty much it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so no. unfortunately, unfortunately not. So seeing this trailer, um, I will, I'll give it credit uh, is I don't know if it's still going to be something I'm interested in going to see, but the, the feel they're going for, you definitely can see a lot of the influence that, um, I don't know, just again, from the outside looking in, um, the impact that Stranger Things has had on, on how they shoot and how they film kids along with uh, the It series here being reimagined. It just seems as if trying to go more of a serious route with, with kids, uh, kid actors, it, it seems to have more of a um, resounding impact on just culture. And I, I, I appreciate that aspect about it because that one they did it, but the all female one they did a couple of years ago, I had really wow. no interest in seeing that. So <laughs> you're right there, Nathan. Jeez, I was man. just thinking about that movie. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I had seen the first one as a kid. Um, and I was not a fan just primarily because, uh, I felt like the characters themselves, the guys that are the Ghostbusters are not good people. No, and I they're really not. No, and I couldn't get behind pe- like characters that were supposed to be my good guys, but were not good guys. That's so why it you was hate Karate Kid, didn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, because Dan- uh, Daniel was a terrible human being. Um, but regardless, I, I'm kind of with with Michael on this one, and and you, you, I guess, Nathan, is that. I'm starting to see this trend of people using kids for kid, like, you know, actual kids to act kid parts. And I, I am enjoying, we've got a good crop of kids acting these days and I, why not use them? Cause like, uh, Finn's in almost everything. The, the kid, the, the, the little girl, that's, McKenna that's Grace. Yes. What is she in? She was in, uh, she was in um, uh, she's been in something horror related. Cause I've seen her before. Either yes, Haunting of Hill House was... or Annabelle Creation. Annabelle Creation, maybe? Mm, see, I remember her from, I think it was that, that Chris Evans movie. That yeah, she was in a saw. Chris Evans movie recently, The Gifted. The Gifted or whatever, where she's like super smart. Anyway, um, the feel and the vibe that I get from this is not 
like what the the all female Ghostbusters did, which is just like, hey, we're gonna do a cash grab on this Ghostbusters thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. It was more like, hey, let's go on an adventure in a world that is, you know, that this story existed in, rather than just yeah, we're gonna milk this as much as we can. And the references that they do bring up, they don't beat over your head of like, so this seems like it's Egon's uh, grandkids. And they're like into molds and funguses. That's a thing that Egon liked in the original. So mm-hmm. that seems like a good link, but not beat you over the head with it. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be applicable to Michael, but I know Josh is going to know where I'm coming from from this. Uh, it's going to be a weird analogy, but the movie that made me... I didn't think Stranger Things when I saw the trailer. I actually saw like the way that it was shot and some of the interactions from the characters. Made me see more of 2017's Power Rangers of... Okay. Yes. Let's focus okay. on the human interactions and get you to care about the people and their small town before we get you on this big grand adventure. Like the way it was shot, it looked a lot like Power Rangers. It felt a lot like Power Rangers. But in this sense, I think that's a good thing. I love that movie. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Um, and Michael, it sounded like you were you were on board with that as well. Oh, yeah, I liked I really did enjoy Power Rangers. It was so much better than than what I was anticipating. And it, not not because I you know I thought it was going to be awful. I just you know I always felt Power Rangers belonged in that really cheesy category for like preteens. But they really did put effort into some areas that they didn't have to. And and Nathan and I talked about this uh, previously is that there were actual real character moments in that film. So what you're getting at, Nate, um, I, I would agree with you. I, I definitely understand the sentiment of taking moments as, aside in film and not rushing through a scene, not rushing through a shot and actually letting the camera linger and letting the dialogue kind of um, I don't know if it's if it's a specific tactic screenwriters are using nowadays, particularly with uh, preteens or, or teen actors or, 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 or ch- children, but they're giving them more to do. They're not treating them as yeah. less than. And I really appreciate that. I think that that comes through on screen and it's very realistic. And even though as much as we like to pursue um, cinema for the fantasy of it, we also, I think, uh, find that's where uh, cinema can transcend is when it's very relatable. Um, so yeah. I, I agree with both of you guys. I yeah. like and appreciate that other than a voiceover, we don't see any of the original Ghostbusters. They're not yeah. le- they're not leaning on that to carry the film. They're leaning on this is going to be a good narrative first with some occasional hints at nostalgia. There's the Bill Murray voiceover towards the tail end of it, but we don't see anybody. There's no Chewy We're Home moment to be like, yeah. oh yeah, sucker in the classic Ghostbusters fans. It's like, no, we're going to lure you in with a good narrative and a good story first, and that ultimately I think is going to pay off because it's Jason Reitman, Ivan Reitman's son doing this, and he's a really good director and the son of the guy that did the original Ghostbusters. So he comes from a background of knowing how to make good movies, but knowing Ghostbusters well. And I think that's a really good pairing. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think, too, the this trailer um, does for things that this generation needs, which is discover, if you're going to introduce Ghostbusters to, to, to another gen, new generation, you can't just be like, here it is, like the one with the all-female cast did. It it's allowing the audience discover it along with the characters. Yes. I think also the big issue that 2016's Ghostbusters had that this movie doesn't seem to be having is 
um, they're very upfront of like it or screw off. It's your fault if you don't <laughs> like this. Uh, whereas this yeah. one's just like, hey, this is a movie that you might like. If not, that's totally fine. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, uh, I'm kind of on the fence with this next trailer. Uh, the Black Widow trailer, I think, dropped earlier than expected. Maybe they wanted to get out in front of the uh, Wonder Woman trailer. So this Black Widow teaser, um, uh, I don't know. I'm kind of all over the place. It's not great. It's not bad for me. I'll go more into it in a little bit. Uh, Josh, what did you think about the Black Widow trailer? Um, it was, it was fine. Um, how do I say this? I, I just didn't, there was nothing there to get me excited, partly because I was like, but where does this take place? And at no point do they say like, Hey, this is happening at this point in the timeline, because you know, for all, uh, all of us we're black widows, spoiler alert, like not alive. So how weird would this you know, exist. I'm, obviously, I know where it, it 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 takes place, but um, there is some good stuff though. And I I watched and read a couple articles as to who some of the characters are, um, and if you know those articles are correct, then we actually have a good direction for the Black Widow character. Uh, Michael, what did you think about the Black Widow trailer? Um, yeah, it's. Listen, it's kind of it's difficult for me sometimes because it, when you know a character's ending already, you kind of go back to prequels. Uh, prequels always kind of like, oh, you know, you definitely can add more to it. But especially when you know somebody's end, I think it's a lot easier to sell me personally on a prequel if you don't know the character's ending point or if they haven't already died. And so mm-hmm. for Black Widow, I actually I, I think her her death is very impactful. It's one of the reasons why I don't like, but also like and love Endgame um, because of that. Like it is a very like weighted death. You really feel it. And the fact that they just didn't bring her back adds more emotion to it, uh, which is what yeah. all great movies do. They make you experience the whole rainbow of emotions. And and so looking at this, this film, I was like, I, I'm very interested in, in seeing what they were going to do. Absolutely. Cause I, I want to see her on screen again, for sure. Uh, I definitely, I don't know if they're going to cover this. I, I think it'd be a missed opportunity if they don't cover Budapest with her and, and Hawkeye because of how much they've alluded to it. Um, yeah. But I, I will say uh, I, this, this trailer was not as good as I was hoping it was going to be. Doesn't mean that's a referendum on the film, but I, I thought there was going to be more, to it um it didn't seem very interesting and so i i hate to play the middle but i was just rather underwhelmed but i don't think it was terrible yeah i'm kind of in the same boat it's not a bad trailer i just thought it it didn't get the job done for me and that's because i've been very vocal since they announced this movie that this is a movie that should have come out three or four years ago um one while Mm -hmm. she was still alive two before captain marvel um it's just this should have been your first female superhero movie in the mcu uh, and it's also just weird because this is the first MCU movie that we've really had that we've had to more or less backtrack in terms of the timeline of like, yeah. yes, you've had Captain America, but that was set way far in the past. So you didn't really know what his story was. Black Widow, you know where her end is. Um, there is some stuff that I liked in the trailer, though. I think obviously the standout character of this trailer and I'm sure in the movie is going to be David Arbor as Red Guardian. He just seems yes. fantastic. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely, right. I agree. Still fits. I mean, Although, let's be real here. He's totally yeah. going to get killed by Taskmaster because you can see oh, in the he trailer is. he's getting his butt kicked and he's out of shape, which yes, uh, we need to talk about Taskmaster. Um, who uh, do we need to fire from the costuming department? Because by and large, the MCU is really good with their costumes and adapting the comics. They have royally dropped the ball on Taskmaster. Um... And maybe this isn't gonna, the finished version of it, but still. Yeah, that's what I'm I'm holding out hope that this is I want to say early version, but, but that's not the words I'm looking for, but just maybe that's not <laughs> to use Dragon Ball Z terminology, maybe that's not his final form. Yeah, and I think it's just speculation, but I think pretty well of who I know Taskmaster might be in this movie. Somebody Either it was like a really strong fan theory or an actual leak. I won't say it here, but it was just like, yeah, that would make sense. Um, but I don't know. I'm not going to be like a, you're doing my boy Taskmaster wrong because I'm not a Taskmaster mark or anything. I I know him a yeah. little bit from the Spider-Man game and from my general comic knowledge, like as Black Widow herself would say, enough to make conversation. Um but it's not like a Doc Ock or a Green Goblin that I know real well and will defend to the death. It's Taskmaster. Although some people are just like, it's a red herring. They're trying to make us think it's Hawkeye. No one thinks it's Hawkeye. Really? I mean, yeah. It, even if you do, like, what do, I would be curious to see what your actual legitimate reasons. I think there's a bigger chance of it being Bucky Barnes than it is a Hawkeye. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I... Hmm. It, it's not it, Bucky, but if, um, if it's not Taskmaster, it's we're gonna have a Mandarin situation on our hands. No, um, don't don't you please, jinx please, it like that. Please don't do that. Please don't no. do that. What well, um, Taskmaster? Can you can you guys explain who? Yeah, who exactly so, is he? Taskmaster is the perfect villain for a Black Widow level threat. Which is no offense to Black Widow. But if you have a non-superpowered oh, yeah, hero, you kind of need something on her skill level. So what Taskmaster is, is more or less um, in the comics and all the games and whatnot. This is a character that has a photographic memory. So basically, uh, you can't use the same attack twice. He will study his opponents and more or less figure out and understand their fighting style and counteract it. So basically, like one of the smartest fighters you like you can't use the same tactic yeah, twice he, master assassin type of stuff like that yeah he's gone like toe to toe with um like cap and spider-man and like all these other like guys that he really has no reason fighting but he holds his own against them and some mo- in most cases actually ends up winning but also he's oh, not okay. like an end of the world type of threat yeah yeah he's like a death stroke level threat if given yeah. the right people, he can be a credible opponent, but more often than not, he's a, in wrestling terms, he's a strong upper mid card. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, it it was okay. Didn't get the job done for me. Um, yeah, I'm with you on that. I- so, our next trailer, though, I've had a little bit of a journey. A hero's journey, if you will. Um, uh-huh. No Time to Die is the next installment in the James Bond franchise. This is the 25th Bond movie. Good grief. And Daniel Craig has been in a fifth of these movies. Um, So, I'll be honest. 
the first time I watched the trailer, I thought it was it was fine. It looks gorgeous in terms of cinematography. I was amazed to find out it wasn't Roger Deakins, but how great does 1917 look? Um, it looks like a Roger Deakins movie. It looks a lot like Skyfall in terms of its color palette and cinematography, but the trailer just kind of, eh, it was just kind of fine. And then I read a very interesting theory that made me go back and watch the trailer a few more times, and I started to think about that theory. But I'll, I'll get back to that in a little bit after I hear your guys' thoughts. Michael, what did you think about No Time to Die? Uh, it, well, it definitely felt like a James Bond trailer. Uh, no other action movie feels that way, especially with the music and some mm-hmm. of the gadgets and gear. Um, I'm still have been, I honestly have still been well, well more impressed with the Mission Impossible franchise here in the last 10 years that I have the Bond franchise. Oh, agreed. Um, uh, and, and so it has to, it ha- they have some making up to do in my opinion. However, I did enjoy this trailer. I was not blown away by it, but I did enjoy it. And, and so I, it makes me excited to see Daniel Craig back again. I thought some of the humor was fine. It was, it was actually pretty funny. Um, so I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious of where they're going to go uh, with this. And uh, it's about time that we get this movie. Um, I'm going to have to actually, by the time this comes out, I will have to watch, um, uh, what is it? Uh, Spectre again. Uh, unfortunately, I don't really remember that movie because I was, it's it was not okay good movie, or but, memorable. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I would almost watch Skyfall first before I, after, what's wrong with after. Skyfall? I love Skyfall. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I, let me rephrase. I would see Skyfall before seeing No Time to Die rather than Spectre. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, Skyfall, believe it or not, was the first James Bond movie I ever saw. I saw that in theaters in college, and I love it. Whoa, except, that's, that's shocking to me. Holy cow. Yeah, that was the first yeah. Bond movie I ever saw, except for another one. But I'll circle back to that later because it involves the fan theory that I saw. Okay. 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 Uh, Josh, uh-huh. what did you think No Time to Die? I, I, I'm, I'm kind of on board with Michael here. I, I enjoyed it. It didn't blow me away, but I enjoyed it. It, it like he to you know beat a dead horse here. It, it felt like a, a a James Bond trailer. Like you know, the, clicked all the ticks that it needed to. Um, I definitely felt more excited for this one trailer wise than I did Spectre. Um, and I, I enjoyed seeing some of the old school gadgets with the car and the mini guns and the lights like that was that was very quintessential bond and i think if skyfall did anything uh you know of all of the things that it did right if it did anything really well it made it feel more like an old school bond movie rather than something that was trying to keep up with the times yes mm-hmm. i think at times casino royale feels too much like a born movie um yes. skyfall felt very fresh and original and fun um, so just for the safety of those listening, I'll put up a spoiler alert just in case this ends up being true of time to put the tinfoil hat on. I need to make an actual segment of this, of like Nathan's conspiracy theory corner or something. I but almost, I almost on, feel like we need to put, make a shirt of, put of the, just says, put your tinfoil hat on. Yep. <laughs> and make it like a metallic material or something. Yes. <laughs> like an old sync video. Or just sell metallic hats. Anyway. Uh, All right. Continue. So, yeah, once again, in the off chance that this is right, and again, I'm not going to take credit for this theory. A lot of people are putting this online. But I will say, spoiler alert, just in case this ends up being true. So, 
after I saw Skyfall and absolutely loved it, I wanted to see more James Bond movies. So I went to the original, the very first one, called Dr. No. So, okay. the villain in this new James Bond movie is going to be played by Rami Malek, who is just born to play a villain because his eyes terrify me. For those that have played Until Dawn, he is yes. so creepy. Um, but his character is just known as Safin. S-A-F-I-N. That's it. No real character description, very vague details. Some people are suggesting that we may have a repeat of what we have with Spectre, of Christoph Waltz's character, is not really anybody important, don't pay attention to this, and he's actually revealed to be Blofeld, spoiler alert, or Benedict Cumberbatch totally isn't playing Khan. JJ, we know he's playing Khan, just just admit it. He's not, he is. Uh, We may have (laughs) one of those situations on our hands with Rami Malek not playing Safin, but in fact playing a modern update of Dr. No. So, um, I'm starting, once I saw that theory and I went back and rewatched the trailer, there's some interesting things to note in that aspect of that might not be that far-fetched of he, side by side, he bears a striking resemblance in some shots in the trailer to the original Dr. No. And also, granted it was the 60s, it was very dated. In the original Dr. No, the ending was like this underground lab with people wearing like hazmat suits, uh, white and red hazmat suits. There's a shot in the trailer that kind of looks like an underground fortress with, what's that? Guys in white and red hazmat suits. Yeah. Hmm. And also, how interesting would it be that the quote-unquote last Daniel Craig James Bond movie ends with the very first James Bond villain? Bringing it full Hmm. circle. Interesting. Michael, you were going to say something? No, I, I just, I was going to say, so I like that, that's the quote unquote end game here is of the series is kind of really bringing it back full circle, then basically kind of ending this and maybe re kind of like a, a whole new reboot of what we know James Bond to be in, in like four years or something. Is that kind of like what the end play would be? Maybe. Or just I kind mean, of bring back another classic villain like they did with Blofeld. My only issue with this is you literally just did this in the last movie with Blofeld. If you hadn't done that before, I think this would be a fun, cool twist that, honestly, we're getting way too much of that in movies recently of this villain isn't who they say they are. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But I I think this could be at least a little fun twist. Again, this is just something that fans are throwing out there. I don't know if it's credible or not, but... yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting to say the least. Um, I, I I can kind of see it working as far as what Michael was saying. I mean, it, it almost seems like they're go- seems like they're going to try to pass the series off, but it also seems like they're not wanting to. So I don't know. We'll we'll see. Oh, with, Daniel Craig's with, like, with the- please get it off my hands. I want to yeah, be more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be like- more Benoit Blanc. <laughs> no, that's um, great. Yes. Also, I can see Daniel Craig doing so many other things right now, but he's doing James Bond. So It's weird to uh, go back and watch Bond now that I've seen movies like uh, Knives Out and Logan Lucky, where Daniel Craig mm-hmm. is having so much more fun. It yes. feels like Bond to him is just an obligation. Like, he doesn't seem like he's enjoying it, whereas Knives Out, holy crap, that's the most fun I've seen an actor having in a role in a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and it's it, what's interesting is um, I grew. I don't. I mean, I'm. You guys were all the same age, so like we kind of grew up with Daniel Craig as Bond. Like there wasn't give. I mean, he's the first one I watched, but for me, still. As much as Connery's the best, when you say James Bond, I immediately think Pierce Brosnan. I mean, same. Yeah, same. I agree. Same, yeah. But like, as far as us going and seeing movies, I mean, I'm, I'm not too familiar as when the last Pierce Brosnan's one was, but... 1998, um, I think? Yeah. So I didn't start watching Die movies. Die Another Day, maybe? maybe? Yeah, maybe early 2000s. So as far as my movie going, watching Life... Uh, you know, Daniel Craig's been Bond, so I mean, this is kind of a goodbye, I guess. And I, in some ways, and I know he's hate, he's been he's been very vocal on how much he hates the role, but uh, you know, this is I really hope that this sends him off in the correct way. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, and for the it was two thousand two, Die Another Day was the oh, I was right uh, about Die Another Day at least. Yes, um, <laughs> which which seems. It, which seems like a film that came out before the millennium, honestly. If you go Is that back the terrible just, one with Halle Berry? I'm not. In, I believe so. I believe you're right. I'll confirm it here in a second. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to. I, I will say, Casino Royale is such a. It, what a I don't know a steroid injection that was uh, yes. for the the Bond franchise. Yes, yes, it's more or less the Batman Begins of Bond. Yeah, I was. Uh, uh, yes, that was my first, first. That was my first Bond. Actually, was the really? Casino Royale technically okay. technical remake? Okay. Well, okay. yeah, and yes, that was Halle Berry and Rosamund Pike. She played the really lady. Yeah, interesting. She played one of the villains. I know she burst awesome. on the scene critically with Gone Girl, but she was in a lot of bad movies before that. She was in that. Yeah. She was in Doom with Carl Urban and The Rock. Oh my gosh, you're right. Holy Jesus. Moses. Uh, what, what was that? Um, 2003? Yeah. Something like that. Oh, Doom? I thought Doom came out right at the, right at the millennia. But, uh, interesting. How haven't we gotten a remake of that? That'd be great. Yeah, they just, I mean, they just read the, remade the game and it was a huge hit, so... Um, I would love a Doom remake, except do it right this time. I mean, but Nathan, nobody wants to see a horror movie about guys killing demons and things. You just are scarred by House of the Dead. Get, okay, leave me alone, right? Let me wallow in my coffin. Uh, that's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of remakes, as we alluded to earlier, our last trailer of the day is another one of those Disney live-action remakes, except this one isn't really trying to copy beat for beat what the previous one did, and I think that's the biggest advantage for the movie right now. Obviously, we're talking about Mulan. I really, really enjoyed this trailer, and I like that it's kind of diverging a little bit from the original movie, but yet still kind of keeping the same essence of the original. Um... Michael, what did you think of this Mulan trailer? Well, so I remember I watched the the original teaser five months ago, and I was kind of like, uh, okay, uh, I don't know, this looks rather interesting. I have not seen uh, the original Mulan, and I haven't seen a lot of the the Disney original films. I just I didn't grow up on them. I, I literally we, I watched Star Wars, I watched Scooby Doo, 
and other cartoons. And then that was it. I never, I, I since as an only child, I didn't have other siblings or I didn't have like sisters who were into, into Disney and, the, and those type of things. So my, yeah. my parents never just introduced me to them. So now that I have Disney plus, I can go back and have um, that type of perspective. Uh, I will say though, out of all of the live action, like remakes um, that they have made of the classic uh, animated original films. This one I'd be more likely to see than any other. Uh, I did not see Lion King. Um, I did not see um, what was uh, just Aladdin. Uh, that even, was surprisingly even though good, though. Actually, uh, yeah. I, I um, so I will say because of the different the the cultural aspects in this film that I'm so unfamiliar with, it uh, has me very curious. Um, I think this trailer is, at least from what they have, it does not feel like a Disney trailer. Um, it, the, yeah. the, the way the cinematography is and some of the shots that they have, it looks, it doesn't look fanciful. Um, yes. Quick look, aside, you, you brought up cinematography. How cool is that shot when the Huns are running and they run up the side of the wall? Oh yeah. yes, like oh, like that. I mean, that does not spring dizzy. Every time I see a Disney live action um, trailer, I'm, I'm just. I always have nightmares back to what the Nutcracker trailer was. Um, oh. Remembers that? I know it's awful, but like that's what I expect sometimes out of Disney live action remake yeah. trailer type of things. But this is, I, it looks like it's there's so much attention to detail and the production quality looks actually spectacular. So I am interested. I will say I was skeptical going in, but. I'm very much interested. I have no idea what the story's about. So it feels epic. If I had to sum it up, yeah. And I think Nathan and I, you, when when the uh, the trailer came, the teaser trailer came out, the what we described it as it felt like a modern day kung fu movie almost, but Which like is right up your alley. Yeah, oh, dude, that is so far up my alley. But what's really funny to me right now is people's i've seen people swear off this movie based on this trailer only because there's no mushu and i guess that doesn't really mean anything to michael but i'm so, sorry <laughs> so, i just i said it i realized that <laughs> so i have a friend of mine that um we actually when they first announced that this movie was happening back in I think I was working with him in like 2017. So a while back, we spent the whole day at work and we, I was at Universal at the time, we actually got guests involved in this argument of does Mushu bring anything to the table in the Mulan movie? And I stood on my hill and died on my hill of if you take out Mushu, then nothing changes in the movie because it really doesn't. So I've always said from day one, if you're going for this serious version of Mulan, that you need to leave Mushu at the door because he doesn't really change the story all that much and he was just like no Mushu is critical to the story of Mulan I'm like I love Mushu just as much as the next person but if you take him out nothing really changes um I and I know there's two things you brought up a good point Josh that some people are already upset that there's no Mushu uh I've seen another thing that people are upset about is there's no music from the original. How dare you not bring back the original music and have it as a musical? I'm like, okay, it's not going to make sense if you have this gritty war film and they bust out and I'll make a man out of you halfway through a training montage. As cool as that song is and how much uh, Michael, I'm sure, has a fond memory of when I wrote oh my. a music video with that song. Oh my. 
I, I had no idea what the song was from. I, I thought that uh, you had found this as a, like a cover somewhere, and I went, "Wow, this is really catchy!" And realized it's been around for you know, basically two. Like dishonor, dishonor on you, dishonor on your cat. But the big thing is, and I think they are doing exactly what you and I said, Nathan, which is you take, that's fine. Take the music from the original film, regardless of of it being, um, you know, sung or not, and turn that into the score. And that's exactly what they're doing. Oh my gosh. I got real emotional when you just hear reflections being played in the background through the trailer and they play it's like an epic version of it, of like it starts yeah. off slow and gentle when it's just her, and then they kind of weave it throughout the battle scenes. And it's like, oh, I'm all about this. I can just tell that the soundtrack's going to be great, especially when they get to I'll Make a Man Out of You if they do like an instrumental, almost like a military version of it with stomps. Mm-hmm. I think that could yes. be cool. Um, I'm sure, Josh, you got real thrilled to see your boy Donnie Yen in there. Oh, of course. <laughs> it's my boy. Um, yeah. um, okay, so Heather and I. She has a different view of the trailer. She wasn't as sold as I was. Although there's something both of us noticed and we're not a fan of it at all. Um, So at the end of the trailer, you kind of see Mulan in the middle of the fight in this big battle. Her hair is still long. She doesn't bother cutting it. That's a big part of the movie. That's a big part of the original is that's how she hides herself as a woman is chopping off like two thirds of her hair. Her hair is still long in this movie. That's not... No. No. So, okay, okay, so this is where Josh's nerd martial arts movie thing comes into play, okay? Okay. So, tra- so traditionally, Shaolin monks kept their hair long, and it was actually a huge insult to get their hair cut. So her hair being, like, longer than it is in the trailer would act is actually pretty, like, spot on, because even then, like, warriors would braid it and fold it up on, you know, on their head, right? So it's actually a bigger deal for her hair to be at shoulder length than it would be for her to like cut it even more. And more you know, with Josh, for the first time ever in the history of the podcast, Josh (laughs) is the expert on the area. I appreciate the education. (laughs) No problem. It's also like what's making me laugh the most is in typical Kung Fu movie fashion, the main bad guy has a witch that can turn into a bird. <laughs> yes, I know some people are just also mad. It's just like, where, where's the villain? Um, I don't think the villain matters that much. You still have a villain. You can just swap yes. it out. If the villain matters to you that much, what was the villain's name in Mulan? Yeah. It, and it's, it, it's really interesting to me that he, he is a con, but he's not like Genghis. Yeah, they switched it from the Huns to Khans, which, which I think actually I mean, makes it make a little bit more sense. It's it's I think if for my memory if my memory serves me right, it's more historically accurate. I've I've said on the record before, I think this will be the most successful of all the Disney live action remakes because of how well I anticipate it doing internationally. Um, oh sure. Yeah. But also Disney needs this to do well. This is their most expensive movie they've ever done and in the budget you can clearly tell because the scale of this thing is ridiculous. Well, and but on that token, like if you didn't have an actual huge mountain in the background of that fight scene on in you know between Mulan and the Huns, it wouldn't feel as big. You wouldn't feel how big this country is. 
True. Um, I, overall, it seems like we all really enjoyed the trailer. I'm still not quite happy that they didn't have Jackie Chan in this movie in some capacity, but I'll get over it. <laughs> yeah. Now, for our last news story of the day, it is... So, back when... Disney bought Fox. They acquired a lot of properties, and we've kind of been wondering what they're going to do mm-hmm. with some of those that may not necessarily be on brand with the Disney name, like Alien, Predator. And while this one may not be as extreme as those other ones, I was kind of wondering what would be the fate of the Planet of the Apes movies. Well, now it seems like Disney has absolute plans to move forward with that franchise, getting the Maze Runner director, Wes Ball, to move forward on a new Planet of the Apes movie. This is the first Fox property that Disney is actually full-on adopting and moving forward with. Um, I really enjoy all three of the new Apes movies. I know some people don't like the third one as much. I enjoy all three of them. I actually think the first one's my favorite. When, yeah. spoiler alert for a 10-year-old movie now, mm-hmm. uh, when Caesar gives his, no! I, I was kind of oh casually my. watching it on my laptop, Dude. and I, like, stopped everything I was doing. I was like, <gasps> yes. oh, that monkey just talked. Y'all yeah. screwed now. Yeah. Like, those movies are really, really good. So I'm very curious to see if this will be a reboot or an extension, because it seemed like there was still a large amount of time between where the third one ends and where the original Charlton Heston movie takes place. Yeah. It seems like there's still a lot of leeway in that. Um, Michael, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on these apes movies? And do you think it'll be a reboot? What What are you hoping to see with this? Yeah, so my, my father was a huge, huge Planet of the Apes fans. And so uh, he, he never got around to seeing uh, Dawn. Um, and so we, I watched that. And I, I remember I was on vacation. I watched it on TV. And I was definitely casually watching it and then i remember my mouth dropped open when caesar has that moment i thought that was they landed that scene so hard i, I was like oh my goodness gracious uh so that was pretty cool and so that's what led me to to want to see rise and and my dad and i saw it and i i thought it was done pretty well um i liked it in different ways than the first one but i didn't think it was yeah. it was better but i never got uh, around to dawn of the rise the beginning of the war for the planet of the apes um whatever the third one was called uh, War, yeah. war for the planet uh, of the apes. Uh, yeah, I, so I I didn't I didn't see it. Um, I remember seeing it uh, every time I go into Best Buy. They had it playing on their TVs, and I'm like, I'm just not interested. So uh, I I don't know the Fox properties. I'm actually, as you know, um, Alien. Nate, I'm more interested. Yes, I'm more interested in in Disney doing something good with different Fox properties. This one, I, I, I'm Let's not be really honest, interested. Not in. even Alien so. can make a good Alien movie. No, unfortunately, no. Um, I, okay. I'm not really interested. They did their thing unless they just, I don't, I don't know what they, they'd like to do. Uh, but uh, I've seen it before. It's been done. I think if they want to reboot it, it's it's too close. So Yeah. That was going to be my, my big nitpick was like, I thought the rule was uh, you're allowed to do, or, you know, the unspoken rule. Uh, you're allowed to do, you know, remakes after eight years. Um, and it's only been i mean i nathan's right it's only been 10 years since the first one and but that makes the third one was only what like two, a year or two ago not yeah even. maybe if that so having something this close to it would be no, it had to have been at least like three years ago because matt reeves has been attached to the batman movie since i don't know 2010 it feels like okay well regardless 
um, that will still be the literal equivalent of recasting Spider-Man so close. Mm, Andrew Garfield. Yeah, well, we won't and go. We saw we how well that turned that out. Horse again. Mm. We won't get on the. Well, no, no. I mean, the the Andrew Garfield to um, Tom Holland. Like, there's literally maybe four, three or four years between the, the those two movies. Well, mm. that's that's a little bit more of a complicated situation. I mean, I agree, but I think do you do you get what I'm trying to say though? Is like it it feels too close, like way too close. True. Yeah, I think this will be a continuation more than anything else. Um, but it's a franchise that I would like to go back to and visit again. I enjoy all three movies. I would like to see what direction they go. I think it could be a very interesting choice. Since, since you've been gone for so long, Josh, you get the blessing of doing the sponsor this week. Oh, oh man. Oh, that makes me so happy. I just wish that I had one. Um, Dude, you had these weeks off, and you still get it. I know. <laughs> um, honestly, let's do, uh, let's do Monster. Monster has been my thing lately, and even though, you know, considering my history with concussions, I really should stay away from um, energy drinks, but... <laughs> 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 but uh, lately, the, they've been... Those are... I work so much, so those those things have been keeping me going. Monster, no, Bang has not put us out of business yet. Hey, man, look, uh, and I'm gonna sound like you know I'm I'm being sponsored by them. I wish I was, cause you know money. But uh, Monster's got some like pretty rad flavors out right, out right now, and like the the energy level whatever is like down on them, so they're more easier to drink, and you're not like, oh hey, this is an energy drink. But that's my. We'll just leave that in the sponsor section and move on to the main discussion. <laughs> main discussion, as we said at the beginning of the show, we're continuing our coverage for Rise of Skywalker. This time, not the prequels, but the best Star Wars, the original trilogy. That seems to be the thing everyone at least can kind of agree on, even though there's some people that still say the prequels are the best, to which I say, those people are nuts, because the original trilogy is by far the best. Um, so we'll still do the same thing that we did last week, uh, our earliest memories of the, each movie, our general thoughts for the movies, uh, MVP for each of the original movies, favorite moments, and ranking them. So I will say, I feel pretty confident saying this for all three of us, uh, our earliest memories won't be nearly as extensive as they were for the prequels. Because yeah. um, I don't know about you two, but uh, my earliest memories with the original trilogy was basically not like any individual thing, but all of them together coming in that gold and black special edition VHS box. Uh, I don't remember a time in my life that Star Wars wasn't there. It just was, it always has been, but I've never been, like I never saw the original trilogy in theaters or anything. It's just that they were always there and I played them to death. And I remember they were always on on Christmas Day and we always watched them then too. Uh, for me, um, much like my introduction to the Lord of the Rings, um, my introduction to Star Wars was through my uncle. I was about to say, was it uh, your uncle? Yeah. Um, <laughs> cause uh, this, this is the same uncle that, that I get my, there's only one Lord of the Rings to watch and it's the extended versions. So, Amen. um, <laughs> I mean, I don't that's kind of the general consensus anyway, but, um, we used to go visit him in Canada all, all the time. And since Canada. we were, 
Canaria. Uh, we were only up there for maybe a week or so. He was like, hey, like, you guys want to see something cool? And both me and my brother Ben were like, well, yeah, obviously. So and so we, we watched the original trilogy in one day. Um, and so that was, first of all, not having to wait for certain conclusions was really nice. But <laughs> it was, to say the least, a an experience that changed my life in some weird way. I don't know if it was for the better, but yeah, we'll Michael, see. what's your still. earliest memories of the original trilogy? Uh, yeah, so um, that uh, very much so the the VHS box, the the, the three of them. My, my parents picked them up and showed them to me and I, before episode one came out. So I remember watching these um, right around that time, and specifically, I will never forget where I was was at, um, what time of day it was. When I saw that Star Destroyer come into frame in A New Hope for the first time, I, I was blown away. I just like it, you, the the fact that that shot really does communicate the sheer scale of it the, uh, of the ship. It was just shocking to me. And I remember watching all three that weekend, and I had my first Star Wars Lego the week after. Uh, it was it was unreal. I I, I tell you. Um, it was it was something that you know has really impacted me, and Star Wars has been a part of my life ever since I knew how to really talk about it. And and so um, for me, um, it was all at once. Like I don't remember watch. Like I didn't sit down and watch New Hope, and then oh two weeks went by, then I watched Empire, then Return of the Jedi. I watched them all like and not within the same day, but like the same weekend. And um, it's still to this day, I don't know if I've ever had a jaw dropping more like more of a moment than than that first star destroyer shot so yeah i would agree with that i'm interested to hear your guys thoughts were you ever surprised when you found out darth vader was luke's father because at least for me personally i never didn't know that because like i said i can never remember without star wars so whenever i watched empire i was just like yeah they're connected but i can't remember like the first time i watched empire to know or not I couldn't agree with more. I was more shocked that when uh, Luke ignites his lightsaber in episode six, that he had a green one. Uh, I was, I was more shocked at that than anything else. Uh, I, I, for some reason, that whole moment just kind of like goes right over my head and all these compilations people post to their kids freaking out. I, I just didn't react. Maybe I just didn't get it. Maybe I didn't understand the weight of it, but I'm like, okay, well, he's his father. Now let's move on to the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah. I didn't understand the thematic, nature of it yeah i i and I, I think maybe it was because like i didn't see it until maybe i was like 10 or 11 or something like that but so maybe the the weight of that discovery didn't it didn't hit me as much as it would if i saw it now um although they're not really subtle about it at really look like what i recently went back and rewatched all of them um with the tag of doing like going through rebels and then watching rogue one and then leading right into a new hope. Um, they're not subtle about it at all at a new hope. <laughs> like how did nobody realize it? Like looking back now, it's mm-hmm. not subtle. Oh no. Um, yeah. I don't know how people didn't figure it out sooner, especially the German audience, but um, yeah, but let's, let's go That's into our point. deep dive. Our main, section of the discussion within the discussion of kind of just giving our general thoughts and discussion about each of the movies. Let's start with 
Star Wars or A New Hope. Yeah. I, I will always just call it A New Hope because I know it was originally just called Star Wars, but it's A New Hope to me. Um, yeah. This is going to be a spoiler alert for my ranking later. This is my favorite one of the original trilogy. It is not the deepest. It is not, from a technical standpoint, it's not the best, but it's my favorite just because it's the most straightforward good guy versus bad guy uh, space fantasy. I really enjoy the original Star Wars for what it is. That being said, Mike, uh, Josh, you're absolutely right. None of these, well, at least the first one, it is not deep. It's not subtle. It is very straight to the point. And I think that's why it is easily accessible to kids. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Josh, start us off. Thoughts for Um, New Hope. (laughs) I, yeah, it's it's not subtle. It's straightforward. It gets the job done. Um, but I don't say that as a negative. It's it's what you need as a movie that's going to ha- introduce people to a larger world. You don't want to go and be like, all right, so here's the thing. Uh, you know, uh, there's this ring and uh, there was these guys that liked all this. You know, you, you, they don't try to bash you with exposition. They just go, hey, here's some characters to like. Um, they just happen to be in this really fun world. Um, go enjoy them. Yeah, it's not like I'm rereading, like I said last week, uh, How Star Wars Conquered the Universe, which is like a deep dive into the history of Star Wars. It's not like George Lucas's original script when it was like, and here is Macy Bendu, and he is mm-hmm. uh, the Order of the Wills, and like super wordy, and Han Solo was green, and... General yeah. Kenobi was our main character. Uh, it's a kid's story. It is, as Patrick Willems says, it is a movie aimed at children about space wizards. Um, <laughs> we'd get to more of the deep thematic elements in the next one, but I still enjoy and am blown away by the stuff that they were able to accomplish in A New Hope. Uh, Michael, break down A New Hope for us. Uh, well, it's it's not an actual changing. Like, plot point, but your yeah. thoughts. I was like, are. Wow, we know that, the plot. It's like changing, and it, it changed cinema. Uh, it really it changed cinema. And I, for for me, the other shot of seeing seeing how they shot the Millennium Falcon rising out of Mos Eisley spaceport, and the stormtroopers turning around to see like the engines ignite, and um, them flying into space and being chased by the star destroyers is just something that audience had never seen like that type of effect before. Uh, even in the late nineties, you is being surrounded by other films. Like the, the stuff is ages incredibly well. Like I, I can't, I have got to give it to this film. Like there are movies that come out, uh, to like in the year that's, that's just they're so awful like as far as some of the cgi because it's just so obviously fake even though yes the, the effects are, are like you could tell it's an older film but because of the miniatures itself are like it's still real they're they're breaking that thing up or that thing is flying away from the camera or at the camera um mm-hmm. so that is still something for me that i look back fondly upon and the reason why i say that is because it is my favorite one not because I believe it is objectively the best one, but it was, it's the original. It has that uh, special place in my heart. Um, and it's also a really good film. Like I, I don't think it's a, a terrible film by any means, but it, it is something that I could watch over and over again. Um, and it had such an impact in my life. So um, if I want to start out there, Nate, I'm in agreement with you. 
if I had one criticism of A New Hope that really, thankfully, isn't present very much for uh, Empire and Return of the Jedi, if I had one criticism, it's that the older I get, the more the dialogue in A New Hope kind of stands out as a bit corny. And that's mm. not to point a finger, but it's because it's the one that was written by George Lucas and he's not very good at dialogue. But yeah. I remember watching it as a kid, liking it, and then as an adult, it's still great, but there's certain lines that I'm just like, really? We're going with that? Well, yeah. like things like, um, and I know Carrie Fisher is notorious for hating this line, but um, when she's talking about uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. Tarkin yeah, and she's like, I would recognize your bastard. It was like, uh, even she was like, like, people don't talk like this. What is, what? Well, so, also her half British accent she has in the movie too. Kind of and weird. then yes. drops it for the sequels. <laughs> yeah, It's great. But it, it does, and I, I'm going to agree with Michael here, that the effects stand up better than I thought they would. I, Which, when how I was much watching of that is it, George Lucas tinkering and later on in years um well but see that's the thing though um watching the version that's on uh disney plus right now you even then even with the hd uh you know visual scale up you can still tell the stuff that he has added yeah like disney plus's version if you guys have not seen the original trilogy on disney plus yet holy crap Disney is yeah. putting their best foot forward out with this like 4K version. And that's George thinking ahead of he shot it on 35 millimeter, which is very easy to upscale and still make incredibly gorgeous. Like the original trilogy looks fantastic with its 4K restoration. It looks so good. Uh, as I much will as- say, hmm. um, and I don't know if you guys had this problem, and it might have been just just been a Wi-Fi problem, but the, um, the scenes on Tatooine um, seemed I could I, I could actually see the uh, the ribbon almost in a way, like I could see the, the see the the how do I say this the the scenes transition from film to film, huh? It was weird, and I, I don't know if that's because of the my Wi-Fi or whatnot, but yeah. It, other, regardless, like that's and that's such like a minor thing too. Um, but A New Hope is it's the Star Wars. I mean, as much as I would hate to say it, as someone who likes stories, uh, you if you're going to show somebody Star Wars, you start with this one. Interesting. Um, there's a friend of ours that we had in college that. I was going to introduce them to Star Wars, and I actually was going to show them Force Awakens first because I feel like it would be more accessible. Uh, but we mm-hmm. did show them Episode 4 as well, and they really, really enjoyed that. Um, episode 4, I think, was aimed for kids, and I say that in the best possible way. It's aimed for kids and families. Empire Strikes Back is the adult movie. And I don't mean that in like a adult swim type of adult, but like yeah. mature storytelling. And I think from a technical standpoint, it is the best one. That's the one that I've had the most of a journey with. Of Yes. Okay. Let's be honest. As kids, we hated Empire Strikes Back the most. I, because it was boring. Yeah. Yes. No, I, I'll, I'll agree with that. It was boring. Now I love it. it. But yeah, it was my least favorite as a kid. I would go yeah, New Hope absolutely. and Return of the Jedi. Because there's only one good lightsaber fight in Empire. 
<laughs> yes, mm-hmm. but I, I think even as adults, and especially now as a quote unquote mature Star Wars fan, um, what's that? I <laughs> hey, let me have that joke. Someone um, stays off Twitter, clearly. Yeah, obviously. Um, <laughs> I avoid Twitter like the plague, man. Um, but as there's something to be said about. Like yes, they're not fl- the the lightsaber fight in Empire is not flashy. It's not big. It's not grand. There's not a lot of flips. But you know, to bring wrestling terminology in here, every it's the Jim Cornette. There's no flippy stuff. Yeah, there's no flippy stuff. But everything meant something. Like watching it now, and especially recently, Darth Vader is playing with Luke the entire time. Like. It is, and I understand it's there to, in the time. There was only so much they could do with the force and moving objects and whatnot. But get if like we're looking at it within the the scope of the story, Anakin's capable of so much more, and yet he just stands there and throws things at Luke. Yes, and even if you take away their story, everything else is so well done. Of mm-hmm. I was kind of just eh about Lando as a kid. Now I really like his character of like. Yes, he betrayed Han, but he did it to protect his people that he has more of a loyalty to, like his mm-hmm. hundreds of millions of people that live in Cloud City, as opposed to one dude that he may have been friends with years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, I think at times we give Lando a bad rap, uh, but he is responsible. There's just a lot that I love about Empire that I didn't love as a kid. I still don't understand the appeal of Boba Fett. I'll be honest. He doesn't really do much. Uh, yeah, I agree. But Michael, thank you. What do you like about Empire? Um, I it took me a while. It was uh, I have to go back to Red Letter Media's um, review of Phantom Menace when they yes, the most boringest one. I'm like, holy crap! Yeah, that basically describes me. I'm I'm very sad as sad to see is that as a kid, if you if there's you're absolutely right it is an adult film if you're a kid of course it's gonna be the most boringest one because of what is going on it there's so much more beyond the surface it's a completely different film but we're talking about effects my goodness are the effects like a step above uh what a new hope brought like it is amazing oh, how good they are um that asteroid and, chase yes I mean, it's 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 really really phenomenal um, how they how they shot that, but um, it is I think for storytelling wise, uh, allegory, metaphors, uh, some Shakespearean type of uh, conflict, uh, it's remarkable. And they hide a magnificent twist that's also believable. Uh, it's mm. not out there. They they it, I mean, how many films get a twist where you can shock audiences, but it's not a Mandarin type of shock and and stupid twist, uh, but it's also believable. So it's like, oh my gosh, yes. I mean, this is completely realistic. Like, why do I believe this? And there's got to be a science or art or philosophy and how screenwriters can do that. Um, But it it is, I think, objectively the best Star Wars film for a multitude of reasons. Um, But it it has, it, it balances out the fact that it doesn't end in complete despair. Um, there's this little embrace of like what's to come, uh, like as far as this potential hope, but you, you are left knowing that yes, the empires strike back and they, and they weren't going to go for a fairy tale ending. And I, I, it, from 1980 
giving that to him. Like, I, I don't know if you guys know this or, or not. Like, I'm not sure was this, this film, I know it wasn't a unanimous, like appreciation that like, people yeah. love the first one better than this. And I, I can understand why. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like that you brought up the ending to me. It's not a down ending. It's like a boxing match where the person didn't get knocked out, but they definitely just hung in there to the last round, but we're getting just pounded for most of it. And clearly the decision's going to the other person for who wins. Yeah. It's <laughs> Nathan. What are always, what's always the thing that we're talking about that movies miss all the Nicolas time. Cage. Okay. That besides Nicholas cage oh, that's, character that's really development, good. like oh. yes, this Ray. The, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ray is the same character in every there, Star Wars but... movie. Of I don't know who I am. Let me train more. It's it's okay. Now they're saying boring, quick, and I'm inclined to agree. It's, quick it's side note: It's hard to grow as a character when the timeline of the first two movies is literally like one right after another, and you never the, lose the, John Cena. Exactly. It that is the thing for Luke. <laughs> the, yeah. Oh, dude, don't get us started on John Cena. Um, <laughs> Someone never loses. They're not interesting. Yes. Even Superman died once in a while. Oh man. Um, but the thing that <laughs> Luke's story, I think is what, what grabs us so much is because, yeah, this is like, he gets the crap beat out of him. Yes. And, and you can honestly, tell he to piggyback off that real quick, going into empire, I'm going to say the controversial thing. He deserved to get his butt kicked. Cause he's a horrible character in a new hope. Oh dude, he's not a good, he's like, a he, rat he, in a new hope. Oh, he does. Well, yeah. But, but I wanted to go to Tashi Empire. Station and pick up power converters. <laughs> he okay. takes after his father. <laughs> you were so right. I never even thought about that. So the the thing, the but like the thing about that though is, I think even with with something his aunt says is like you can't keep him here forever. He's like, got too much so of his father to, in him, and that's exactly, what I'm afraid to of. To me, that says. To me, that says he's been trying to leave for so long that. It's it's more like I'm annoyed that I have I have all of this responsibility that is needless, needlessly be, in my in my point of view needlessly being a certain put on. point of view. Yeah, from a certain point of view. Anyway, um, <laughs> I will also say with Empire, I remember him being a much bigger role. But as I get older, Yoda's really not in Empire that much. To, to, he's like the best thing about it, but he's not in it nearly as much as I remember. That being said, I'm I appreciate say him more as I get older. I'm gonna say it. I did as a kid. I didn't understand what the big deal about Yoda was. Same. I didn't get it. I I, I didn't on a certain level. I still don't. But you know, <laughs> what? You're weird, man. Yeah. He's he's okay. I mean, I don't know. Like, I think. Are you more of a baby Yoda not... person then? <laughs> don't give me. Hey, that actually that opens all kinds of avenues and opportunities for storytelling. But I won't get into that. There's here, a great but... meme I saw of Baby Yoda. I won't. Uh, basically, it's the Baby Yoda like turning on music and whatnot, and it's um, Phil Collins. I can feel it in the air tonight. Oh. <laughs> and so when the ship minute. starts rattling, that's the drum solo. Oh. It's so good. Um, ben, I realized that Yoda doesn't really have a bigger role until Return of the Jedi. Part? And then yeah, he immediately absolutely. dies. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. But 
I, the issue I have with Yoda sometimes is it felt like he was at least definitely in Return of the Jedi, he felt more like an exposition machine of mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, there might be bigger story. They do it in a very masterful way that it doesn't feel that way, but really he's just there to give information about what the Jedi is. Which, to be honest, that's every Jedi mentor in Star Wars. Original yeah, Ben exactly. Kenobi, uh, Qui-Gon Jinn. They're just there to explain stuff to us plebes. Yes. So then I'm curious. Um, I I think we're I'm skipping ahead here. Actually, no, yeah, yeah, no. We, let's talk about Return before we start moving on to anything else. Yeah. This was my favorite as a kid. Really? Yeah. Return of the Jedi was my yeah. favorite one more than any others yeah. as a kid because holy crap, he's got a green lightsaber and he fights Vader and stuff. Yes. I will say this is my favorite lightsaber of the series. Oh, like, we're going to talk entire... about this later in my favorite moments extensively. Oh, dude, that lightsaber, when it pops out of R2 and he grabs that sucker, oh, man, like, let's go. It is odd. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But. I think Return of the Jedi, as I get older, is the most interesting one because there's such a divide of really deep, emotional, heavy storytelling with Luke and Vader. And then murder, uh, (laughs) cuddly, murderous bears. (laughs) Literally within the span of like two minutes. Uh, Yeah. Bro. Yeah. Yeah. But like yeah. watching back now, like they're, they're like some of the stuff that those the, the Ewoks pull off is just. I still don't have an issue with Ewoks. I don't get it's all the hate. hilarious. I still don't I think would, they're that bad. They're not that bad. No, oh lord, no. I don't know why. I think, I think there's a sense of people that get upset that he that it feels like they're just there for the corporate toy machine, but so is all of star Wars. You just kind of accept that that's part of what star Wars is. Exactly. Exactly. That's just a part of the thing. The the big thing was to populate the world that you're in. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. Michael, what, what's, what stands out to you about return of the Jedi? What has made the biggest impact to you with return of the Jedi? Uh, the space battle. Um, we hadn't seen anything like that before. Um, that, that was something, um, I mean, even the effects, um, not, not the trench run, but the, the run to the core, uh, some of those effects are just still astonishing to this day. The whole core sequence, um, that, and the, the music in particular, as, as Luke begins to win the battle against Vader are the things that stand out the most to me other than when he, when he takes out um, those people on the sand skiffs, right? When he's about to be put in the Sarlacc pit that, yeah, you're absolutely right. That whole sequence and especially the green lightsaber. Um, I will, I want to, I want to take out, talk about two things real quick. Um, so here's the thing. Um, Boba Fett is the most overrated character in the history of star Wars. Can I, I get a hallelujah? I, I, I can't stand the uh, just, the the godification that's not even a word of Boba Fett. I honestly, I think that's a good word though. I don't yeah. understand why people like Boba Fett. He's awful. Like he, the last thing he is is intimidating. He, I mean, I, I know that he was resurrected in the EU. He's not. He's. Well, I don't know. I don't want to yet. talk about. He's not the, yet resurrected yes. in current canon. Correct. And so at this moment, 
the only thing canon that we've ever seen from him, the last thing we see him flailing, his arms are flailing as he as he flies into the bars. If someone accidentally nudged his yes. backpack. It's one of the most comical deaths ever. Uh, and then to actually belch, like the fact that he enjoyed it. Uh, uh, I feel like the belch was added later. Oh, uh, was it? Which, uh, quick uh, side note. We often give crap to George Lucas for changes that he made yeah. to Star Wars over time. Can we all acknowledge that the changes that he did to the Sarlacc pit were for the better? And oh, absolutely. absolutely. So it doesn't so, look suspicious? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, yeah, no kidding. Uh, so here's the thing. There's that. Secondly, and I'm going – and people have not talked about this. So I'm going to talk about the Mandalorian in, re, in reference to Return of the Jedi. So um, – when or not excuse me not the mandalorian this there's the rumor of this new obi-wan well not the rumor obi-wan is coming but there there's a certain section of this fan base that want to see a vader return in the obi-wan series but they but the reason why they say they want him to return at least i've heard mostly is they want to explore the line from a new hope about you know uh, when i left you i was with the learner now i'm the master i just I always attribute that as george not knowing his own continuity that's hilarious. That's never happened before. <laughs> so I want to, I would rather have them bring it back to return of the Jedi when, before they go up to the death star, when Luke and Vader are staring out opposite sides of the corridor. When, and when Luke says, come with me and he says, I, I please come with me. He goes, you can't, you know, I, 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 you don't know the power of the dark side. I must obey my master. Um, and the idea of, of Luke coming back saying, I feel the conflict within you let go of your hate. And he says, it's too late for me, son. Like, why does Luke know that? Why does he believe that? Why, um, we don't ever get told. You never Story see Obi-Wan. Yeah, exactly. But if there is a way that um, Obi-Wan, um, you know, he, he says to him, basically, he's watching his friend die. And he cries for him, says, you know, you were the chosen one. You're my brother. I loved you. And then he goes to uh, episode four to saying that, you know, you're only the master of evil, Darth. Like, that's a huge leap to make. So I my pitch would be for this Obi-Wan film and, and or this Obi-Wan series, excuse me, I'm all over the place, um, would be exploring the fact that while possibly watching out for Luke, Obi-Wan truly feels that goodness within um within him and is, is motivated to keep Luke safe by trying to pursue the goodness within Vader. And, and again, kind of talk about adding some sort of continuity, this idea of goodness um, where, and I guess you could tie that right into episode seven uh, and eight of the idea of Ray believing that there's some good in Kylo. There's some familiar heritage that no one's ever truly gone. You know, that's, that's a Luke line, obviously. Um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like they hey, could have an opportunity and it all goes back to that corridor sequence, which is my favorite sequence actually of return of the Jedi. Um, when the ATST drops Luke off and they have that, you know, that two minute scene, it's a real father and son moment. And I, I don't see a lot of people talking about it, but that's my favorite thing. So sorry. That's a very long drawn up. We'll talk about that more in your good. favorite moments. I was just thought, if there's any things that don't line up, it's just George forgetting his own continuity because also don't yeah. forget when Obi-Wan is talking to Luke, he gives them lights and he's like, your father would have wanted you to have this when you're old enough. Um, you sure about that? Cause the last thing Luke 
Obi Wan. Uh, the last thing Anakin said to Obi Wan was, "I hate you." And then he's just like, "Oh, <laughs> sure. If that's how you feel, Yoink, I have your lightsaber now. Gonna give it to your kid." Well, it, it's funny because, oh, like Obi Wan says that, and Anakin doesn't know he has a son. Nope. Yeah, it's at all. He knows true. he's got kids on the way. He doesn't even know he has multiple. He just knows he has a kid on the way. Yeah. Yeah, there's Which, a lot okay, that I feel like George so, really didn't do his homework when he did the prequels of things that just don't really line up. I have up. questions. I know I'm a week late, and I, you know, like y'all talked about prequels last week, right? But um, mm-hmm. my main issue with the prequels is that Padme goes to full term with twins without knowing that she has twins. That's a great point. Holy cow. How? How in the world in this also did she get big in like three weeks? Like, how did they not like be like? They're supposed to have better technology than us too. Exactly. How? How did she not? Did she not like go to a doctor ever? And if that's the case, that's a terrible idea. Um, who like you mean you can't pay anybody off to keep this a secret? Anyway, that was like uh, I literally I was talking. I've also this always wondered, how did no life. one at all in the Jedi Council know that Anakin was married? Like, didn't they have, like, sleeping quarters? Yeah, like, how does nobody know? And, I mean, it's obvious that uh, Obi-Wan knows. Oh, like, yeah. No I always just kind of assumed Obi-Wan knew. It just never said anything. Well, he kind of alludes to it in the final scene in 3. But, but anyway, uh, back to, you know, before we hop back down. Back to that, reality. Oop, there goes gravity. Um, Let's move on to... The Jedi uh, is definitely the... Yeah. Let's move on to MVPs, I <laughs> to think. To Return of the Jedi. It's the... Okay. All right. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, so, I... I know these are Skywalker films um, for 4, 5, and 6. However, I'm not going to give my MVP to Luke for a while in this trilogy. Because like I've said, he's an annoying brat in episode four, but he grows his character. That's called an arc. Learn it, Ray. Um, I I feel like it, it makes it sound like I hate Ray. She's not the worst, but I don't like her story so far. Um, it's, it's hard to do anything when you're not given anything. Yeah, it's not her fault. That's a good point. Um, I will give my MVP for A New Hope to the person that helps Luke become more interesting because he just oozes swagger, Han Solo. The movie Ugh. completely changes its tone and feel once Han Solo enters the picture. Uh, it was an interesting story that gets ramped up a couple notches by Harrison Ford's coolness. Yeah, I would, mm-hmm. and honestly, I don't know about you, Michael, but I'm going with Han Solo as well. One of my favorite okay. scenes is... When uh, they're trying is when they're trying to go out uh, to, to leave the Death Star when they pick up Princess Leia and he's like they, they, the stormtroopers are coming and they're they're like uh, what are we doing and, and he Hans chases like, after him I'm just gonna chase him I don't know what are you yeah. doing I don't know I'll figure Turns it out the corner and all of them are there and he's like oh no and runs back it's it's great I, I Han Han is easily. For me, the center of of the uh, really all three of these films, but he's also the one that undergoes the most radical arc of yes. more or less because Solo never existed. We forget 
it ever happened because it completely undoes his story. Um, basically being a scoundrel that shoots people in the face and shoots first, dang it, to coming back to save his friend and believing that there is some form of a force. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And to, and I think that's why to me that line that he says in seven means so much when he's like, Hey, it's, it's all real. Like it's cause you know, even really uh, towards the end of Jedi, he, he's just kind of like, yeah, this stuff kind of happens, I guess. Yeah. I, it's all Harrison Ford. It's also a time in his life that he was still trying in his movies. <laughs> yes. And to think we accidentally yeah. got Harrison Ford as Han Solo. That's all other story. Very, very day. true. Um, Michael, who's your MVP for A New Hope? All right. So here's the thing. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with 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 a non uh, non sentient um, character uh, because of the impact they have on on the uh, that's hilarious uh, on the rest <laughs> of the story. If you want to think about uh, you want to think about droids, you want to think about the fact that how big of an impact they can have and how much of a nuisance they can be. And if you look at the journey of this droid. Uh, I I'm absolutely stunned that that you know, the arc of this character and that goes to not R two D two but the red R two unit that blows its motivator so that R two D two can fall in the hands of Luke Skywalker <laughs> and change the rest of the saga. Which, that if is... we're going by EU canon, that Jedi was force sensitive. <laughs> that droid was force sensitive. I'm glad Josh you you, you broke R2-D2, Josh. Is like is like one A. He's, he's like it's he's, true. <laughs> it is. It's uh, I mean, true. Without I'm him true. having a bad motivator, nothing would have worked. <laughs> yes, and that's my that's my point. The Jawas would have just kept R two forever. I, seriously, R two literally destroys the Empire. Like I, I you can't. <laughs> I mean, he he has been wreaking destru- like havoc on everyone for you know thirty years, and and now another. 15, 20 years past uh, Return of the Jedi. But, I mean, if that motivator doesn't go bad in that Red R2 unit, I mean, it's, I mean, because C-3PO's walking <laughs> away. He doesn't care. <laughs> he, that's the best part. It's, I mean, they, they were bent through all of that, and he's like, eh, don't look at me. <laughs> um, so, there you go. Also, oh, okay. hey, let, let this lesson be learned, kids. Josh Laziness. can be broken. <laughs> laziness moves stories forward that's how you sum up all of star wars <laughs> although my inner film nerd kind of hates that scene where r2 the r2 unit blows up just because i noticed it and i couldn't unnotice it from there on out of there's a shot where um c3po says something about you should get r2 r2 like turns his head to the camera slowly and then not even 30 seconds later they reuse the exact same shot oh man because they didn't get enough footage so they reuse the same shot of r2 turning his head you're depressing me i mean to be fair though could you imagine what that scene looked like before considering how much editing they re-editing they had to do uh, oh yeah upon the initial uh, initial release yes I, good point. I'm not going to lie, point. Michael. When you said droid, I thought you were going to go with like R2 or 3PO, like one of the logical yeah. ones. I uh, thank you, guys. You got, you got me, man. You got me. <laughs> you went with the bad motivator robot, which yeah. had his own comic for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that he was like a Jedi droid. Uh, I love the, by the way, that, 
that, that scene when he goes, Uncle Owen, he goes, well, it's like this RT, it's got a bad motivator. Look, and and Uncle Owen goes, wait, what are you trying to pull that jaw? And he goes, bah! Like, what you to me? And that's one of my, he's like, he just throws his hands up like, what type of, oh my gosh, I love that. It's one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> Oh, oh yes, that was that was a good laugh. That was good. All right, Which, so, can uh, we get a Jawa uh, spinoff show? It's like no, uh, yes, um, it's like Pawn Stars except with Jawas. Oh, geez. oh, that'd be oh my gosh! Uh, I'm down. Um, what are, what no you guys subtitles. Oh man! Uh, one of the uh, since we're talking, you know, real quick about shows we wouldn't mind seeing Jawas. Um, have you all seen episode five of Mandalorian yet? Unfortunately, yes. Uh, I fell asleep and then I woke up and saw the end. No. Oh. Yeah, so this is by far revealed. the weakest episode, and I'm sorry, it's Dave Filoni's fault. He's a great. Yeah, yeah. He he's not director ready yet. No, he's not, and that's okay. He but, did great work with Clone Wars and Rebels, and he's the perfect protege for George Lucas, but he's not director ready yet. That's where John Favreau comes in. Correct. Um, the one thing, though, I did take from that episode was that the sand people communicate through sign language. Yes, I thought that was cool. And I thought that was super cool. And now all of a sudden I want like a like a Western-style movie about the sand people. I don't know. It'd be... It'd, be really turf wild. wars between Jawas and Sand People. <laughs> Get out of here. Okay, who? What are y'all? Who's your MVP for Empire? For Empire, I will go with the guy that, in retrospect, wasn't that menacing in Episode Four. He was actually mainly just somebody else's dog on a leash. Darth Vader is my MVP for Empire Strikes Back. This is the movie that made him the villain that he is. If you look at it, he really doesn't do that much in A New Hope besides kill Obi-Wan. Whereas Empire, his presence is felt throughout the movie as an imposing force of evil. Yeah, oh, I, I can agree with that. I don't know if I would have him as my MVP, though. Uh, Michael, who you got for MVP? Uh, well, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the Empire Empire character. Um, it's coat and basically, unfortunately, I, I I'm coming from the perspective of my MVP is as all helping the rebellion. Are you so going with that, the stormtrooper that, is, that gets eaten by a wampa? Uh, no, that's that's the <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. Which that is that is a hilarious like that scene should not have gotten cut. Type of scene. I uh, know <laughs> uh, it's really funny though. I it's, it's hilarious. Um, but I'm gonna go. Um, with a gentleman who really helped the rebellion uh, by accident, and that is uh, Admiral Kendall Ozel, who came out uh, came of out hyperspace too, soon? too close. Yes, came out of the, the too close to the host system, which alerted the fact that they were there and the bombardment was on its way, which allowed them to escape. And uh, gave us the rest of the movie. So uh, <laughs> <to> see <laughs> Admiral Ozel. Um, so I thought you were going to go with like Captain Nita or somebody. Oh my gosh. How do you even know his name? I don't understand what's because happening Because that's like one of Vader's best lines is apology accepted. He accepted Captain Nita. Yes, Admiral Ozzel. And he's like the, he's, is it, I believe he is the first character that you see uh, Darth Vader choke to death. Um, to death? And yes. Because so, he uh, force choked somebody in episode four, but then let him go. Uh, Admiral yeah. Mati, yes, he he uh, he chokes him but lets him go. Which um, yeah. So thank Only you, Admiral Azul. You, yeah, it's, oh, that's that's brutal. That's that's brutal. So 
But hey, you know what? We were able to, as the rebellion, I say we because I was a part of that fight as a kid, uh, <laughs> able to um, detect uh, that the Empire was there, fire up that shield generator, and, and get the heck out of Dodge. So I go. will say, Hoth, I'm not going to lie, I hated Hoth as a kid. I don't know what it was, but Snow just didn't do it for me. And that's also part of the reason why I didn't like Empire was so much time spent on Hoth, but now I like it. And when the first Battlefront game launched launched in 2015, they had a little demo, and that was where they dropped you, was in the Hoth battle. I vividly remember me and my roommate at the time, Alex, were switching off because it was single player. So he had been playing for it. Literally, as soon as I get on the controller, I shoot down a TIE fighter accidentally on Hoth, and I'm just going, wait, did I just shoot down a TIE fighter? All right, I'm playing this game for a while longer. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to say... Uh... Man, I, I think I'm still sticking with Han. Man, uh, he he goes through a lot of change in this film. That he I, becomes a player in Empire. He he is, but like we get more of the smooth scoundrel in this in this film, and he actually Would you say shows a smooth criminal. I hate you. Um, anyway, um. No, but like just his interactions with Leia, seeing how he interacts with Lando, to, and to even to his you know his pinnacle line before he drops into carbonite. Oh, I know. Like it, there's just this smooth, suave guy who's just who at the beginning of New Hope was like, you know what? I don't need the galaxy. I'd prefer to take its money. Um, to now, like, oh man, there's actually people I legitimately care about other than this hairy carpet that follows me around. Can somebody get this walking carpet out of my way? <laughs> well, you scruffy nerf herder. <laughs> That's a great line. Also, what's a moof milker? That That's not from that. That's from what? The Stride commercials? Actually, I think oh, that's, that's from Mandalorian. Is it? The, is that what that character that I'm trying to forget said? The lady that repairs no, the ship? Yeah. That's, no. Does, does she say that? And Han says it in episode seven. You're does right. It? You're right. You're right. You're right. I just watched episode seven too, so that, that's probably why that's in, the, that's in my brain. But, yeah, I like, mm. I like the evolution that Empire takes the story. Yeah. And it's, it's, if we're going character arcs, it's hard for me to just be like, well, Han goes through great stuff because really everybody in that movie goes through a lot. Agreed. Which brings us to Return of the Jedi. Josh, who would you say your MVP is for Return of the Jedi? Luke. Without okay, a yep, doubt. We're in agreement. Here's where I give yeah. Luke the MVP. He has finally earned his stripes. He's a character that I actually enjoy and is mostly competent except for that time that he's going to shoot job in the face with no plan <laughs> i think it's at that point like if he sent lando in and that apparently isn't working he sent leia in and that's apparently not working he sent the droids in earlier which so he's definitely like, wasn't well, gonna work yeah he's like well geez man now i i just gotta figure this out by the seat of my pants all right, Michael, who's your MVP for Luke Skywalker? Is it Bib Fortuna? Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, I'm not going to be ridiculous here. It, it is Luke. Uh, <laughs> just because 
Uh, I mean, he doesn't have a pivotal role in the fact that they blew up a Death Star because, I mean, let's say they all failed, like he, they would just all die and the Death Star would still blow up. Um, but the, the because that's why my runner-up would have been Wedge Antilles. Um, yes! Wedge needs more love. He absolutely needs more well, love. Well, he is in Rise of Skywalker. That much has been confirmed. Yes, Correct. and that, that is, it's about time that they uh, that he get over his vanity and just accept the money. Uh, but I, 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 I have to say, Luke, because he is my favorite character throughout the trilogy. Um, he he comes so long. Uh, such a long way. Um, and again, I mean, Nate, you're the one who actually taught me to look at that last scene in college um, differently. Um, and it's because of how the fact that he's, it's, it is stupid that he throws his lightsaber away, but it does show the fact that he's willing to die or he's, he's willing to put his life on the line for the fact that he is a Jedi and to come full circle, resist temptation, realize that he was becoming more machine than man, just like his father, wants to throw it all away and doesn't care what's what it's going to cost him. Um, I, that, I mean, you almost can make a case in the same regard for Vader uh, because of what he does to save his son. And, and I, at that point, kill the emperor. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it's, it's Luke. And I, I don't think anything else is close really. Yeah. Which will transition us to our favorite moments from each of the original trilogy. Because for me, Luke is actually involved in every single one of my favorite moments of the trilogy. Um, starting with episode four, A New Hope, it is, besides Duel of the Fates in Phantom Menace, the single greatest piece of music in all of Star Wars in this scene, Luke and the Binary Sunset. Dude, when he's yeah. looking yeah, yeah, off yeah, into absolutely. the distance... I mm-hmm. I was just kind of eh about that scene as a kid, primarily because there's no lightsabers or action. But as a character moment, it's the moment that you really start to get invested in Luke. Of uh, You first meet him as this annoying brat that just wants to hang out with his friends and ignore his responsibilities. But then you just see him looking off in the distance, wanting a life adventure, wanting to get out of his situation. And honestly, I feel like all of us can relate to that at one point or yeah. another in our lives. It's that moment that we connect with Luke of understanding who he's about and big tip of the cap to John Williams, because Holy crap. Bes- like I said, besides Duel of Fates, I don't know if John Williams has ever topped himself in terms of binary sunsets music. Cause that is just gorgeous. To the point yeah, of, it, I love the Family Guy spoof of, um, uh, P, uh, not Peter, Chris looking at the camera and goes, let's give a big hand to John Williams for this scene. And then it shows John Williams conducting the orchestra. And then when Uncle Owen and Aunt Brewer are killed, he's like, oh no, John Williams has been killed. Now we have to do the whole movie with Danny Elfman. <laughs> yeah, the, no, but I, I New Hope, that one, that scene is definitely way up there on there on for me. Um, I don't know, man. It's it's hard to beat Han running down the hallway screaming like a maniac. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I I get that yeah. because in that situation, I feel like that's the most Josh thing to do. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm running. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, it, what what sells it is his is his scream changing when he realizes 
Oh, hi. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's still one of the best, the best, uh, like you could just tell what he's thinking with nonverbals. Uh, for me, I, I said it in the beginning, it's, it's just that scene with, uh, with the blockade runner flying by and then this massive ship, just that, that scene where it's, it's over camera. Um, it's just, yeah. it gives me goosebumps still. Oh yeah. Uh, also, honorable mention that final trench run that gets better as I get older too. Just the cinematography, the music, building tension, it's just excellent. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, but also going back to Josh's uh, Han running down the hallway, the scene also gets better when you watch Chewie, who's been like hanging back and just waits in the hallway. Oh yes, and his look on his yeah. face. He's like, wait, something's not right. Uh, he like yeah. waits for <laughs> Han to mess up and runs back. Yeah, it's the best. It's it's why Chewie's the best because he he knows he deserves a medal. <laughs> we give him a medal in Rise of Skywalker, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> please, jeez. He got his own Christmas special. Now give him a medal. Okay, we're not bringing that up. Oh yes. Yeah, uh, All right, okay. Michael. What is your favorite moment from Empire Strikes Back? Uh, yeah, this, this is going to be the most difficult because like I, a lot of these, I have an attached or affinity towards the earliest memories of it. Uh, but it's the quote, uh, nowadays when it's, it's just because of the weight of this, of the line, um, is, is after Luke attempts to raise his X-wing from the swamp and he can't do it. And Luke goes back to Yoda and says, you ask for the impossible. He goes, sits and, and pouts. And then he sees, and then you see Yoda do it. And it, it's, it's one, it's those moments you're like, well, you've heard he's a Jedi master. Can he really do something? And you see him do this phenomenal feat, something we had never seen before on that type of scale. And, and Luke is, is astonished. And he goes, I, I don't, I don't, I don't believe it. And, and, Yoda with, I still think the most, one of the most powerful lines in all Star Wars says, that is why you fail. Oh my, uh, that, that hit home, that hits home so well, just not being able to believe that you can do something. Well, of course, that's why you're going to fail at it. Uh, yeah. That transcends the genre. It hits, it hits home with just our, our practical, our daily lives. So that, that's my favorite moment by far. What about you, Josh? Favorite Empire moment? I would... Um, hmm. I, I, I'm with M- Michael on this. It's, it's hard to pick just one because there is so much that, especially watching it now as an adult that hits home a lot harder. Uh, I think I'm going to go with a Dagobah scene as well, but it's the one where he goes in the cave. Yes. Oh, excellent. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. And realizes that, in order to really become, you know, I don't like using the word successful, but to really truly become a powerful Jedi, you have to first face yourself. I am actually going to agree with Josh. That is my favorite scene from Empire Strikes Back. So with that scene, it's also the scene that I hated the most as a kid, not just in Empire, but in the entire trilogy, because I thought it was weird it felt completely out of place, and I also just didn't understand it from a, why is this here, but also from a thematic standpoint. Like, what is this? Why? I don't get this. Who's in the Vader helmet? And why is Vader just all of a sudden on Dagobah? What, what's going on? Yeah. But as I get older, I understand what the scene is trying to say, and I love it that much more of um, 
whatever you decide, that's the path you go down. If you give in to hate, you will become your father. And this is a warning to you. I also hated this scene as a kid because it's one of the few scenes in Star Wars that has snakes in it. So that's a big no-no for me. Snakes and cashews will be the death of me. Um, I'm sorry, cashews? That's a long story in and of itself. Um, Got it, okay. That's a that's an off-mic, Nathan nearly died uh, story. Um, oh, but man. I like the cave scene. Uh, a lot because it it's a good character moment and there's still a lot of people that I know that don't really get the scene and or that like have to have me explain it to them of why it's important and I like there's certain details in it that I don't notice as a kid that I notice now of the first thing um Yoda says is you don't need your lightsaber the only thing in there is what you take with you and after Yoda says that, Luke immediately picks up his lightsaber regardless. He's just like, screw you, old man. I'm going to do what I want. Um, but also, an important detail to note in Star Wars is whoever draws their lightsaber first. It's a very big mm. story thing. Like uh, when Vader and Obi-Wan fight, Vader's lightsaber is already drawn and ready to go. Then Obi-Wan draws his. Uh, it's like a sign of aggression of um, in the cave, Vader is just standing there, not doing anything. Then Luke activates his lightsaber out of rage. Um, then only after then does the vision of Vader turn on his lightsaber. Or in Cloud City, uh, Vader's just standing there at the top of the ramp. Luke, just quick to battle off. I, I want to fight him. I want to fight him. Draws his lightsaber. And then in a kind of a manic, just ready to go state. And then Vader calmly and slowly turns his lightsaber on. And then when we get to Return of the Jedi in the final fight, Luke turns his lights around first to try and Darth Maul, Emperor Palpatine. Um, mm-hmm. And then when he, quote-unquote, defeats Vader in the cave, he sees himself in the mask, which if you just watch it by itself and you don't know the reveal that will happen later in the movie, sure, it's confusing, but if you've seen Return of the Jedi, you get what it means. It's foreshadowing really, really well the future of the series. Sure, it didn't make sense at the time, and I didn't get it as a kid, but in retrospect, it's a really crucial scene that really dictates the direction of Luke if he's on his current path of impatience and hatred. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's, I think, if anything, when it comes to Empire, all of the Dagobah scenes are extremely powerful. Oh, yeah. yeah. Of lifting the X-Wing out of the swamp, all of Yoda's wisdom, Yoda playing dumb just to see what Luke would be like if he was willing to listen to somebody that wasn't a great warrior because Luke mm-hmm. is so called to action. Um, and then for Return of the Jedi, my favorite moment of Return of the Jedi is not just my favorite moment of Return of the Jedi. It's my favorite moment in Star Wars, period. And that is basically the final leg of the fight between Darth Vader and Luke of once Luke is in hiding um, on to the end. So basically like he's got that fantastic shot that I didn't appreciate nearly as much as a kid when Luke is hiding under the staircase and half of his face Mm. is covered in shadow and half of his face is covered in light. Beautiful shot that tells a story in and of itself there. But Luke uh, Vader is just taunting him with his lightsaber still drawn of, um, Join me, and if you won't, perhaps your sister will. Which I still to this day love the how it should have ended. Of uh, Vader, it's like, wait, 
you have a sister? I have a daughter? And just starts cheering in celebration. Hey, Stormtrooper, I have a daughter. Um, <laughs> but I love in that moment, as soon as he's like, if you won't turn, perhaps your sister will. And then Luke just going, just snapping of no. And in that moment, you see, without even seeing his facial expressions, you see Vader go, oh, crap. Because he does that quick head turn. And we often talk about how you don't see flippy stuff in the original trilogy. In this, uh, in the fight between Vader and Luke, I like that there's no choreography. It's not choreographed. It's just sheer rage from Luke. Just wild swings like a madman that Vader was clearly not ready for of Luke just hacking and slashing like he's playing Force Unleashed or something and just going right after Vader and going insane like a madman to the point that he finally hasn't beat, cuts off Vader's hand and in that great moment turns down and looks down and sees his own destroyed robotic hand. He has now officially become what his vision in the cave said he would become. And then he stupidly throws his lightsaber away, in which he still should not have done. Uh, And then in a great symbolic moment, uh, later in that scene, uh, his chest flap opens up and shows that he has white underneath. So yes, he's wearing black for all this movie, but he still had good underneath him. Yeah, it's... The Return of the Jedi, I have heard, is some people consider it the less, it's not as deep as the other two, blah, 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 but it's, I think in, by itself, sure, whatever, but in tandem with Empire, the story that is told between those two films is so powerful, it, it's, it's tough mm-hmm. to just, to ignore it. Oh, agree. Yeah, I, I, you guys, you guys, I, I mean, great things uh, for me. That, gosh, uh, when I want to think of Return of the Jedi and scenes, I, I, it's, it's more of a somber moment, but it's, it's the, it's the dedication and it's, it's the uh, funeral, that small funeral moment that that Luke has mm-hmm. for Vader. Um, I, I find that uh, along with the, because I mean, it's a time of mourning for him while the galaxy is celebrating. It's a small moment where you know he's he's looking at what his father you know, was at the very end. I mean, he saved him. Um, and uh, Luke is is vindicated the fact that he was absolutely right. Um, um, he knew that his that he sensed good in his father, and he was right. And his father saved his saved his son. His last last act um, as a father was to look on him with his own eyes. And so all of that I find because you know Luke is not like happy. You said you definitely see he he's in conflict, but then you know at the end I'm celebrating and seeing his father appears a force goes, you finally see Luke smile. Um mm-hmm. and actually that's like it's a great uh finish to to the trilogy. Um but yeah I, I, but first he has to, you know, he I mean the fact is he didn't leave his father at the at basically at the footbed of the the Imperial shuttle. He actually still dragged him up there. Um yeah. so uh, that, that's my that's my favorite part because of just what what it what it uh, conveys and again how do we not mention the the music that accompanies that scene too so yes i was about to actually i was just about to give an honorable mention too when vader finally passes away and they play the imperial march on harp instead of organ so it kind of gives it that more angelic heavenly sound which is also in case we haven't said before john williams does a lot of the heavy lifting storytelling wise with just the music alone if you know what to listen for 
and Return of the Jedi mm-hmm. is no different. Yeah, oh, I would agree. Um, I'm curious, and this is going to be on a less serious note. Um, did y'all ever see the video? It's, it has to do when um, Darth Vader is sitting at the on the ramp, and Luke is it when he plays starts his, playing the accordion? It plays the harmonica. Harmonica. And he just like comes out of nowhere. <laughs> Oh, Anytime man. anybody talks about that scene, that video pops into yeah, my head. Sure. Oh, that's funny. Okay, so going back also to the towards the tail end, we've talked about Star Wars changes. There's not a single change that George Lucas has made that pisses me off more than what he did at the end of Return of the Jedi when Luke is being electrocuted. I know people get all up in arms about Han shooting first. Yeah. That one annoys me too, but not nearly as much as Vader shoehorning in the no. I think that spits in the face of John Williams's music and the whole scene structure gets completely undermined by Vader speaking. Uh, the music mm. is excellent. The slow zoom in on Vader's face while his son's being electrocuted. You don't need dialogue in that moment because you know what he's feeling. And having Vader say no, no, it just ruins it for me. And I hate yeah. that change more than any other. Really, you don't you don't hate it that at all that uh, they they put Hayden Christensen there instead of uh, the the original actor. That's a very close second, but to me, it's when Vader finally redeems himself. That's the pinnacle of the entire trilogy. That's like what the whole series is leading to. Whereas once he's a Force ghost, that's kind of the epilogue of tying everything up. It does that does annoy me that Hayden Christensen's there yeah. because. I actually kind of like that whole, wait, who's that guy with them? Oh, that's supposed to be Anakin, that moment of not knowing who it is. I like that, but uh, it bothers me that Hayden Christensen's there, but the no thing annoys me even more. I mean, the the it bothers me that Hayden Christensen's there is not because it's Hayden Christensen. It's because everybody else, I mean, Obi-Wan was killed at a certain you know at a certain age and that's what he appears as and obi-wan uh, yoda was killed at a, uh, died at a certain age and that's what he re- appears as he you know for- that's why i like having sebastian shaw there because it was this is the age anakin died at exactly. not the last time he was good mm-hmm. yeah exactly so it was like i don't i don't it, that, that really bothered me also just the Still older bad. i get the more i think about it i'm just like how would anakin know how to turn himself into a force ghost because i assume Yoda was trained by Qui-Gon as is Obi-Wan. Who taught Anakin how to be a force ghost? Uh it might have to be, it might be a power thing. We'll yeah. see. Um, I mean, I'm sure that'll be a point um of the Obi-Wan show. Or at least I'm hoping it. Like how do they not bring back uh, Qui-Gon? Bring back um, Liam Neeson, you cowards. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he's not taken currently. <laughs> that I want to laugh, but I almost don't want to. It's funny. That was funny. Okay? Legitimately, it was funny. I just don't want to. I don't want to encourage uh, you. It's probably funnier the first or second time. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Rock on, guys. They're not going to keep me. I would, I would think. No, they're not. They're they're done. Three, three was the last one. Whereas John Wick can go on forever, please. I mean, it's uh, it's at least going to four. I well, mean, we know that. <laughs> All right, we've talked about our favorite moments. We've recapped them. How are we going to rank them, Michael? How are you ranking the original Star Wars trilogy? 
from as worst as to my best. favorites are like or like best or do you think like are we your objectively favorite. the best so or your least liked to most liked um now it's gonna be um so in ascend so in descending order uh top still is original star wars then empire then return of jedi based on the order of release interesting hmm yeah i, I would uh, least oh. favorite and it's by a very thin margin is return of the jedi empire then a new hope of they're all so close i just think of them as one big story even if Return yeah. of the Jedi is "quote unquote" your weakest, it's not a Dark Knight Rises situation where it's such a noticeable drop off, or like Godfather Three, where it's like such a big drop off. It's just that they're all so equal that something has to come and last for me. Mm-hmm. Interesting, because yeah. um, I'm gonna go Empire Returns, New Hope. Really? Okay. Okay. So, um, and why that's is that? Because. I mean, if to anybody who listens to, to our podcast, I, I like how story and character driven the uh, return, uh, sorry, um, Empire and Return of the Jedi is. That is not to say A New Hope is not good and it's not fun. It is fun. But I feel that, especially rewatching them now as an adult, Empire and Return stick with me more than A New Hope does. I can understand that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but we just, I feel like we need to go back and acknowledge the real MVP of these original trilogy movies that we never really got to talk about. The stormtrooper that hit his head on the doorway. Yeah. <laughs> that is my favorite Star Wars character of all time. Or just the fact that those stormtroopers like met C-3PO in, the, in that office or whatever, and they're like, oh yeah, he knows what he's talking about. Let's listen to him. Yeah, I never understood how they just let him go. Like, like no doubt. No, Did you literally like, just yesterday accidentally let two droids escape? <laughs> matching their description? I, I mean, you could make the argument, I guess, that, you know, not all of the stormtroopers are going to know that. But at the same time... Why would you just believe something a droid you've never seen that also doesn't look like an imperial droid at all? Like at all. Um but we can poke plot holes or make fun of Star Wars all day like again, I bring up the family guy one of when the escape pod launches so it's just like, "Oh, hold your fire. There's no life forms." Really? Are you yeah, sure? Are we charging with uh, yeah. a bullet now? You sure we're here yeah. to shoot it regardless? Just to be safe. Yeah, just yeah, to be I don't know safe. what they weren't wasting ammo, were they? Like, it's one of the, also one of the worst decisions. I, honestly, you could even trace back my R R two unit uh, to the fact that, um, yeah, how about that Imperial officer's decision not to shoot the escape pod, which had the Death Star plans. Which I mean, truly, he's the MVP. I, I don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, even if even if there's no life signs, wouldn't you still shoot the enemy escape pod regardless? Yeah, yeah, like, oh, bro, it's hilarious. But, but like you said, we could sit here and poke holes in everything because it's George Lucas. And as much um, as people are like, why is the Emperor only just now showing up in Episode Nine for Star Wars? Well, maybe because he waited to show up to the last movie in the original trilogy as well. Oh, you're not wrong. You're not Except wrong. Except the original trilogy was thought out from beginning to end. 
I haven't thought. Yeah, I haven't thought about. I, I just. I, I guess I, I have. I have a take. I, I. I just. I have a feeling that you don't like the the sequel trilogy more uh, than you liked uh, the original trilogy. Nate, you seem to have some issues with character development. Um, uh, okay. I, I guess we'll get into it, it more. We'll set it up as a tease for next week, and then we'll wrap it, things up for this week. I like the sequel trilogy as individual movies. They are not thought out in the slightest, though. That's my biggest issue with them, is I love Force Awakens and I like Last Jedi, but they are not connected, and I feel like they retconned each other, and Rise of Skywalker is going to retcon the things that Last Jedi retconned because Lucasfilm didn't take the time to properly map out and outline where they wanted the story to go. I think I couldn't agree with you more because I think it's pretty evident by the storytelling or the lack thereof so far. Oh, emphasis on lack thereof. But we will cover that next week. Uh, guys, any closing thoughts on the original trilogy? Um, I would I'd say it's the best. I mean, it's the best three-part story ever told in film. Uh, and it continues Lord of the Rings may beg to differ. Yeah, it was pre-existing source material, so I had to go back to the Fair book. point, fair point. Fair point. I, I'll, I'll give you that, yeah. It, it's definitely the most prevalent and well done uh version of a the three the three act play ever done in cinema yes and it's it's like comfort food you just go back to it when you need it's it's pretty easy to put it on too and just like put star wars on and just have it in the background and then you can pay attention to to it when you want and literally any scene you jump in on is 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 a good one yeah, mm-hmm. I think episode four is the only one that I feel confident saying every single scene is iconic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, normally yeah. movies, there's like one or two famous scenes. Episode four, it's every single scene has something famous about it. Yeah. Okay, Just yeah, because yeah, of how new it was and what it represented, absolutely. And it yeah, inspired absolutely. generations to come for better or for worse. Well, what about you guys? Were you inspired by the original trilogy? What are your thoughts? We'd love to hear from you guys. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether that's iTunes, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, YouTube. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.